Hello and welcome to episode one of No Particular Podcast. Uh, it's taken me a while to finally get these all done, editing, and uploaded, but I'm finally getting around to it, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I had a, a lot of really cool conversations so far, and I'm excited about the ones that I'm talking to other people about doing coming up in the near future. Um, yeah, I've just been really busy with a lot of different things with, with work and school stuff and uh, other endeavors and such, so it's taken me a while to get around to it, and some of it's just sheer laziness when I get home and sometimes you know, sitting on the couch and just watching Mad Men or something like that sounds a little bit more appealing than like going into the, you know, going in my spare room and just starting editing episodes. But, um, I've gotten to where I'm feeling more confident about it. I think I was a little turned away because I didn't know exactly what I was doing. You know, um, it's a little intimidating trying to to work on something that you're gonna you know share with other people when you're not 100% on what you're doing so um I think as I've been going obviously I've been learning and building up confidence and uh yeah I'm starting to feel a lot better about what I'm gonna be sharing with you guys so uh anyhow this first episode is with my friend Dan Simrad who I met a few years ago when I took a scuba certification course he was uh, co-instructing uh, with another guy, and I got to know him throughout the you know few weeks of taking the course with him, and we stayed in touch after the course. And since then, he's gone on to uh, kind of leave one career and pursue a new one, which is uh, towards free diving and instructing with free diving. So he's teaching people how to be able to hold their breath for three minutes and more, and dive to depths of, you know, 60 feet, 70 feet, 100 feet on one breath, which is pretty mind-blowing, but it's exciting, and I do want to get around to doing it with him, but uh, just got to try and find more time, Uh, but it's uh, it's pretty amazing what he does, it's really cool, so I think that for those of you that think it sounds exciting to uh, jump into the waters on a breath and see what happens, you know, without, you know, any scuba gear, or anything like that, then you know you'll probably really like this episode. And I hope for those of you that never consider doing that, or are still interested and excited to hear about this and learn how somebody could do that, or why would they would want to do that, and maybe it'll make you decide to give it a try for yourself, or you'll know someone that wants to try it and tell them about it. So, anyhow, it's a great episode. I was really excited to talk to Dan, and I hope that somebody benefits from the episode, and it really. I don't know, helps you guys learn more about free diving and what doing that has to offer. So anyhow, hope you guys like the episode. my one time i've put on tanks in two years ever since then you've just been like free diving yeah like wow is there like any reason for that or you just kind of um i personally like i have nothing against scuba i still talk it up like i still i'm stoked when people get into it but i just have more fun when i'm out free diving yeah 
When I'm fun diving, I'm usually out shooting fish, which I only do on free diving. So. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah, we're good to go. We're good to go. Yeah. Um. Uh, I guess it's just kind of interesting because you used to be a teacher, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, like, let's just start from like the beginning. So, like, where did you grow up at? Um. <clears throat> so I, born and raised in Oregon. Oh, okay. Um, and so early on, it was uh, the Dalles and then Central Oregon, um, and then over here. So mm, okay, yeah. What kinds of stuff did you do growing up? Were you in the water much? You know, I was always a water rat. Like my parents couldn't keep me out of the water. We had a pool. Um, we anytime we were around water, I was ended up in the water inevitably. So did a lot of fishing. Um, just playing outside so okay and what kinds of things like were you thinking you wanted to do when you grew up so one of the first career paths that I was serious about you know once I'm in high school and starting to think about oh man I'm supposed to think about what to do after high school um, was actually teaching Um, and then kind of left that behind and um pursued or or focused on jobs that would uh be slightly more lucrative mm-hmm. um but even then like i got a a good job right out of high school where i was working as a pharmacy tech so i did that for a wow. long long time um and it helped you know pay for my schooling and all of that um but any off time i found myself in kind of education roles where i got super into wakeboarding um so i was a wakeboard instructor for on a private lake for a while um and then just still playing in the water any chance i got and once i finally got refocused on school and whatnot went back and uh, finished up my science degree and then got my master's in education and where did you go to college Uh, i finished at concordia in portland nice and so where, where did you do like after college? Did you go directly into teaching or? Yeah. So college, I kind of took my time. Um, but once I, so once I finished, I went, went straight into teaching and had, um, you know, jobs lined up right after college. So. And were you like a high school teacher or? Yeah. Yeah. So my first teaching job was uh, St. Mary's Academy, downtown Portland, um, which was kind of funny teaching. Well, I shouldn't say funny. It was interesting teaching at a all girls Catholic school downtown Portland with a very different demographic than right here. So had that been like kind of I mean, were you open to teaching anywhere or from the get go? Were you like I wanted to stay pretty local and kind of an ultimate goal. I finished high school here in Oregon City, um, and so I liked the idea of being involved in and teaching in the community that I lived in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, the ultimate goal was to stay close to Oregon City um, and, you know, hopefully end up teaching here. Yeah. So I taught at St. Mary's um, in Portland, and then I taught at Gladstone High School, um, and then after that, was here in Oregon City. Oh, okay. And so, at when at what point did you start getting into scuba diving? So when I was working on my master's, um, it was actually an interesting situation because it was one of those we had, you know 
team building community, whatever, in a class where they asked like, what's, what's one thing that you've always wanted to do, but you've never done type of deal. And mine was scuba diving. And everybody's like scuba diving, like you could do that anytime. Like, and it was like, maybe you're right maybe mm -hmm. i could i just never had access to it but i love being in the water and it always intrigued me um and then when i was doing my student teaching i was actually working with rod's wife at oh. clackamas high school and so became good friends with rod he was a, a scuba instructor and so he's like you should come take my course. And I was like, you're right, I should. So, wow. Um, and that was, you know, right after it had kind of popped to the forefront of my mind again. And so, um, got that lined up, took the course, got certified, and then, you know, immediately started helping with courses as soon as I could um, and just trying to be involved because. Like, you know, sometimes when you're first certified around here, cold, dark water, it's hard to be involved. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> um, helping in courses was a lot of fun. Um, did my first warm water trip to Bonaire with Rod and Angie and got a bunch of dive experience in there. And then just kept working my way up, kept showing up and helping with courses, kept taking my next steps, so on and so forth, and ultimately became a scuba instructor. Yeah, I think I got certified in like 2013 or so. When was it that you got certified? Um, I think I it was 2009, 2010, somewhere oh, okay. there. okay. So you like really got into it pretty quick. Like, yeah. Wow. And... Um, so what kinds of experiences like had you had like like after you did get certified were you just going like all the time and like did you just start buying all your gear and everything or I tried to at first it was tough um, because you know we were talking earlier but at first I didn't have any of my gear and so um, you know Steve Scuba was the shop we were using and it was down in Milwaukee so a bit of a drive and it was always hard to uh, line up because you'd look at conditions if you're going for a fun dive or you'd, you know, have a, a crazy scheme with the guys and be like, yeah, let's go scuba diving. And then it's like, oh, I got to drive to the shop. I got to rent my gear. I got to get everything sorted. And um, so that was definitely a limiting factor initially. And then I just started, uh, you know, piecing together my own kit as quick as I could. Um, and once I had my own stuff, it was a lot easier to call up rod and say hey let's go dive so yeah and what i mean would you say that that's kind of like the best way to get in is like kind of getting like pieces here and there rather than like just always renting i think if you can it's far more it makes it easier to just grab your stuff and go yeah. um then if you have to drive to the shop and rent stuff and and whatnot. get different gear every single time and everything yeah Seems yeah. like it'd be like way better to just be accustomed to. Yeah, and that's setup. that's a huge piece. Um, what you just mentioned there, because I got to the point where you know, super picky, and I'm still this way on my my free diving kit. Just picky on knowing your gear, knowing where it is, how it works, trusting it. Um, so you have a lot more confidence in your your setup if it's yours and you set it up and you know it really well. Yeah. 
And so at what point, like, did it, were you starting to think about free diving and like what made you kind of aspire to start doing free diving? So it was funny because that was spearfishing is really the thing that made me realize free diving was actually a thing. Um, and initially I discovered, you know, somewhere in the scuba progression, I discovered that, um, you can shoot fish underwater. Yeah. And I thought that is the coolest thing ever. Um, I want to try that. And I had found, uh, this old busted spear gun with rotted rubbers and everything else, um, in our shop. And so, um, you know, grab that and started put new bands on it and whatever and and started spearfishing and as i got more involved you know then the transition happened where anytime i was diving for fun i was going spearfishing mm-hmm. um and as i got more involved i totally just fell down the rabbit hole of spearfishing and got more involved in the community and whatnot and as i got better at it i started making connections with guys who would gently and i appreciate it for gently there were a couple that weren't so gently but they would be like why are you shooting on scuba and i'd be like what do you mean how else am i going to do it and they're like well we hold our breath um and that kind of opened my eyes you know most other places in the world um if you want to spearfish you have to be holding your breath it's illegal to shoot on scuba um so i started looking into that and and i like the idea but i wanted to um yeah i'm a always been a safety-minded guy i suppose wanted to make sure i was doing it right and not going to go kill myself so um so I coordinated with uh, an instructor who had just moved up from California, and we started offering some freediving courses, um, and I took that course. And initially, my only goal was to be able to dive 40 feet and shoot lingcod. Like, even then, like, that's cool. You know? <laughs> right. Like, you know, yeah, was... absolutely. That was my end game. I was like, I, the people that I remember having conversations, like the people that dive super deep and hold their breath for a ridiculous amount of time, like they're stupid, they're crazy, like I no appeal to me whatsoever. Yeah. Like I just want to be able to shoot Lincoln in Oregon and like that's it. Yeah. No, I've thought like I I've listened to some interviews with some free divers and everything. I just like the depths that they go to and the duration that they're there blows my mind. Yeah. I think a lot of people couldn't imagine in one breath even going to like thirty or forty feet and just hunkering down and waiting for Lincoln to come through. Right. You know? Right. Like so, so I guess, yeah, like what was your first few tries like? Like when you first really tried to give it a go, what were you kind of thinking? So, you know, it was one of those where incrementally I started being like, huh, maybe there's something to this. Um, so I took that, that first free diving course and at the time they they stopped us in the pool on our breath hold, they stopped us at three minutes. And so I hit my three minutes and I was like, that was terrible. It was miserable, but I did it and I never have to do it again. And I have bragging rights. You know, I've got my picture of my watch at three minutes and I'm good to go. And now I can just hold my breath for shorter amount of times. Um, and I started, started diving and being successful spearfishing on breath hold. Um, and as just, as I got more into that, um, started realizing there weren't any resources for free diving here. Um, and, 
ultimately, I decided that I wanted to be able to offer that that entry level course, and so took my next steps at at training. And as I kept going deeper, so that next course was, uh, you know, I got to a hundred feet on breath hold for the first time. And once I got there, I was like, you know, that, that wasn't that bad. That actually felt pretty smooth. It was like, I wonder, I wonder how far I could go. Um, and so it was just one of those, like kept, kept saying, no, this goes, this is pretty fun. Let's see how far we can go. So is there um, any kind of particular training that you would say is like really ideal for getting into it? Because I imagine that there's like stuff that you could do ahead of time that could really kind of help you to begin with. Like I, you I know, was, go ahead. Oftentimes I almost prefer, because now I run courses all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often it's almost easier with a clean slate. Oh, really? Yeah. For that initial course, um, you know, I train guys that are lifetime experience of free diving and ab diving in Northern California or whatever. Um, and spear fishermen are notorious for having the worst habits ever. Really? And they're, they're hard to break. Um, so oftentimes they've, you know, coming in with somebody fresh, um, is, almost easier to get them get them going then yeah not always but yeah um and then you've got a lot of people that you know there are various meditation so meditation and yoga go really well with free diving um but a lot of the disciplines while there's there's crossover you know you hear guys talk about um Wim Hof and some other other stuff like His that. His breathing methods and all yeah. that. And they're they're great for what they are, but they're not something I'm necessarily using while I'm free diving. So mm, okay, all right. Um, and uh, what advice would you like give to someone that wants to? Like, is there something they should know about themselves before they really consider it, or like, do you think it's good for anyone that wants to do it? Um, what, my favorite part about training free diving is watching people just crush their expectations of what they think they can do. Um, and so the biggest things I would say would be one, take a course. So, you know, what things are safe, what things aren't safe. Cause, um, you know, the accidents that happen typically are statistically speaking, we, hear a lot that uh free diving is the second most dangerous recreational sport out there so um but if you look at the accidents and fatalities it's people who are untrained and usually task loaded dives most often spear fishing mm-hmm. um and so while it is something that's accessible to anybody that can go fall in the water um if you want to do it safely encourage you to take a course so taking the course is the first one um and then the second one, all the time I have people, you know, call in and say, oh, I'm going to take the course in six months, but I don't feel like I'm in good enough shape. Like I need to train first or whatever. And um, most everybody that actually comes in the door, you know, I tell them you could you'd have a three plus minute breath hold. You could do 20 meter dives like, like don't, right off the street. Oh, yeah. Don't don't let you know, don't let yourself get in the way of, of getting started. So, 
Now I know that there definitely is like like training and everything that you give you offer that helps them get there. Like it's not like just close your mouth and you'll make it happen. Right. But like it sounds like anybody that just off the street hears that's like this guy's trying to sell snake oil. Like <laughs> like like what exactly is it that you're going through to like help people go from like thirty or forty seconds to three minutes, you know? So um, you know, the course is a two and a half day course, uh, and we go through everything from all the equipment because all the gear is specialized. Uh, we spend so much time on on safety, and one not only preventing yourself from injury, but also buddy diving because free diving is always a buddy sport. Um, and so how to deal with blackouts if and when they happen. Um, so safety, safety is huge. Uh, but then in the, you know, the breathing techniques and the psychology, we go through various patterns and go through what's going on through your breath hold and, you know, the signals your body's going to give you and, and how to respond. And, um, so the, the course I teach now, uh, the, the cutoff in that first one, I will let them hold their breath for up to four minutes. And it's super common to have a good chunk of the, the course actually hitting that four, four minutes. minutes. So one wow. of my favorites, I had this lady who, um, surfer, uh, came in and she had never tried holding her breath before. And she maxed it out at four minutes and she came up with just this big old grin and was like, I had more. I had no idea, but I could go for longer. And Jeez. so um, it's pretty awesome. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, I guess, is there, is, are you like the only one in the Oregon kind of area like that you know of that offers like free diving courses and stuff? So at the shop now, I've got myself and two other instructors. Mm-hmm. Um, that you trained up yourselves or that you? Uh, one on? of them I trained up myself. The other one is a national record holder from South Africa. Oh, wow. So um, we've got a, a solid instructional team. Yeah. And then uh, in Washington, there's one guy. Um, and then you have to go pretty far south in California. I just went down last month and trained um, a few new instructors in California. So Yeah, like... Um, let's talk a little bit about how you did get into like from just doing it recreationally to actually instructing. Yeah. So, um, it came about my, (laughs) I like to think that, you know, it was definitely, I feel fortunate. I was in, you know, the right place, right mindset at the right time. Um, where, Nawi and PFI had had just started a collaboration where Nawi is the the scuba agency. They're like the first scuba agency. Um, they're the ones that you know we did your course through. Yeah. Um, so I was already a Nawi instructor, and Nawi had looked and recognized that free diving was in high demand, and that they they wanted to offer a solid program. Um, and so they did some market research and looked around and said, okay, who's doing the best free diving program? And they ended up setting up a collaboration with performance free diving international PFI. And right about the time I started hearing, hearing rumors that this collaboration was in the works, um, was when I was starting to think that, 
you know, it's frustrating not having any free diving resources here in Oregon. Um, mm -hmm. And we're already doing the scuba shop stuff, but my real interest was free diving by this point. And so I started pestering both Naui and PFI, trying to get information of what's going on with this collaboration, sign me up, how do I get going? Mm -hmm. um, and so ultimately through that uh, process, I was able to go through the first um, instructor program down in San Diego uh, between the two. And then um, through that, after that, um, I started running my courses and, and interest in the area kept growing and got, got good response. And I started poking Nawi saying, hey, you guys need somebody at headquarters that's just focused on freediving. Um, I know ultimately scuba agency, but we need to, need to have somebody focused because we got a good thing here. Um, and after pestering them enough, they were like, all right, you do it. And so they made me the free dive training coordinator um, and then continued my training from being a, just a free diver instructor to intermediate instructor um, and then instructor trainer and so on and so forth. So now, like next month, I'm going to California to do a free diver course and um, finish up training an instructor. And wow. then shortly after that, I'll be in Florida um, for two and a half weeks or so training wow. some instructors and free divers. Do so. they like help like pay like get you there and everything or? Um, part of part of the deal is made training much more accessible. Um, oh, okay. But then as far as courses, I still I still budget those and you know, yeah. those those go through me and that's how how it makes sense, I suppose. But you're one of like the few you're like one of the few like that's actually certified to train this, right? Yeah. Then technically? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a pretty small pool um once you get to like instructor trainers and whatnot. There's only only a few of us. But I imagine it's getting to the point where there's more people that like you said, it's becoming popular. Are there more people that are like, I want to become an instructor like you? Like Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you're qualified to be able to like get them to that point, right? Or did yep. they, okay, wow, that's pretty crazy. Have you, I mean, has it been a pretty fun, exciting experience to be able to step away from like teach? Because you're done teaching, right? Yeah, I've been out of the high school science classroom for a couple years now, um, and yeah, it's super fun and exciting. Um, and it is funny. I, you know, close friends and family. I remind them that. Because you look at Insta and it's just, uh, yeah. you know, palm trees and sunshine and, no, it and looks just amazing. fun. So, or, or holding fish or whatever and um, remind them that social media isn't always the truth. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of work. Like when I'm on a, a course, especially an instructor course, I'm pretty much working sun up to sundown. And yeah. um, like last year I went and safetyed uh Deja Blue in Grand Cayman, PFI's competition there. And so I was there for like three and a half weeks. And um, as far as things I saw and did in Cayman, it was pretty much I saw the condo and the pool and the dive site. Wow. <laughs> like the whole, yeah. like you're working and then you're just exhausted afterwards. And um, so 
but that side doesn't look good in a Instagram photo. So, um, so it is a lot of fun, but it's yeah. a ton of work. Um, yeah. No. How many times have you been to the Cayman now? Um, I went twice this year. Um, so I guess it's three times. Okay. Cause there was deja blue and then we were there in January. I was there in February. Um, yeah. And so they're always for events when you go. Um, no, last year was the free diving competition. Um, and then this year, both of them were courses. And so there was, uh, intermediate and intermediate instructor course in January. And then I was running, um, another intermediate course in February there. And what, uh, what consists like of a free diving competition? Like what goes on? What are they, how are they, you know, scoring and all that? Yeah, so Deja Blue is a really fun one, um, and it's hosted by um, PFI, and it's it has a reputation of being one of the, the safest competitions out there, and it really is um, a bit of a marathon because they have all disciplines, so um, instead of just being like a pool comp or a depth comp, you've mm -hmm. got all of it. And so they do a training camp, Historically, they've done a training camp for a couple of weeks beforehand. And so you got the full safety team. We go out and set up the rig. Um, we do video review and, you know, give athletes technique pointers, let them let them see what their um, dives actually look like and and whatnot. And then um, so a great time to to train depth, especially for, you know, we had guys from Canada who don't have regular access to warm, clear depth, you know, and then, yeah. and so on and so forth. So the first two weeks are like the, the training camp. And we had some people come out just for that, just to train and get deeper and whatnot. And then that last week is the actual quote unquote competition where we've got all the judges and everything else. Um, and it's, you know, split up by, discipline and depth days and pool days and and roughly how many competitors show up um you know i don't even don't even know on the count because we had various um safety one big safety team but then we'd rotate kind of oh, okay. in and out so you know um myself and another guy would be free dive safety on one dive and then the next dive we'd be breathing up and the other guys and so and because we had athletes in and out for that three weeks i honestly am not sure how many yeah how many. and do you do you have any kind of a different process to like prepare yourself for a competition versus like for fun um like in the morning do you do like different like any kind of different kind of you know readiness kind of the nice thing about being there was you're so just, I mean, you're immersed in the, the process. And yeah. so, and you're surrounded by high level free divers. And so that, that side is, is pretty nice because, um, it, it, it's almost like you don't have to go out of your way to do the prep stuff. Um, yeah. uh, Whereas like here, if I'm leading a course, I have to be a lot more deliberate about thinking about taking care of myself and not getting caught up in, I got to pack this, I got to set up that, I got to do, you know, yeah, this, that, or the other thing. So, And would you say that like visibility, does that play any, like anything in your mind? Like, oh, huge. All? Okay. Yeah. So up there, like in 
is it a lot more relaxing there to just yeah yeah having 40 meters of viz um and warm water cold water diving is is harder you've got a lot of challenges that that come into cold water diving it physically like equalization is harder um you get restricted because of your thicker wetsuit um you have to wear more lead so it's harder to kick up from a hundred foot dive on in cold water than it is in mm -hmm. warm water so um a ton of variables that make warm clear water way way better yeah so and what i mean just to give reference to the difference what would you say like visibility is here versus there um here i am stoked if we can see the plate at five meters so about Jeez. about 15 feet um is really good visibility when we're doing a course um up at hood canal whereas there um we could see the plate at you know, 40 meters is like 132 feet. Good God. I couldn't imagine, dude. So. I mean, I, I thought it was beautiful and I loved it when I went d diving up in Hood Canal, but it is like, if you hang out in one area for too long, it gets real. I can't see anything, right, you know, right. but, um, I mean, it is, it's fun, but I, I just always thought like when I've seen your pictures under the water where it's just like, it's just like you're in a room, right? you know, it's just, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a, a different world. And one of the nice things, you know, even Hood Canal, I still, I love cold water diving. I love running courses here. Um, and it's fun. We've done some combo weekends with uh, both scuba and free dive courses going on and, you know, staying up at the Yellow House or whatever. Um, and the nice part, so for free diving, we're diving on a line and we're not just sitting on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so we don't muck up the bottom like you do on, on yeah. scuba. Um, and then of course the other fun thing that that first level course maxes out at 20 meters, which is 66 feet. Okay. And by standards, the deepest I can take you on your initial cert as a scuba diver is 60 feet. Okay. So it's good fun when my breath holders swim, swim past the scuba divers. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah. So is that like usually generally when you do take them for like an open water dive, you guys go up there or? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's still, you know, I love to get salt water um, and have cool stuff to look at. And then um, it's pretty special to have some place that's that protected and have reliable conditions, predictable conditions, and, uh, you know, um, just know what you're getting into. It's a good, good training site where if we went went out to the Oregon coast, it's a lot less predictable and yeah. too many variables to have to fight to run a, a mm -hmm. safe controlled course. Plus there's just so much like scuba traffic up there, you know, there's just so many other divers that, yeah. you know, if something did go wrong, they would all kind of mentally be in a place to know kind of how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, the sites we use being set up as dive sites, um, is, really nice having a facility with a hot shower when we're running a course yeah. in February and you know, all of, all of the setup on the facility side makes it a lot nicer too. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about equipment and everything. What is, um, when you're getting ready to go on a free dive, what is everything that you generally take with you? Is it basically a weight belt? Are we talking a class dive or a spear fishing dive? Yeah, like let's say you're going out to go spearfishing. Here in Oregon? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, wetsuit, 
if we go through the neoprene, got a wetsuit, and we wear all open cell um, wetsuits, two-piece, no zippers, integrated hood. So um, wear a seven mil wetsuit and then gloves and boots, um, fins, mass snorkel. Um, How come you guys do the like like hood attached and everything? So freedivers nerd out about being as efficient as possible okay, so yeah. i like to say it's the perfect sport because i get to be lazy and call it efficient but um we want the the least stretchy part of your wetsuit is the nylon liner on the outside okay um and so by eliminating liner on one side you get a much more flexible suit we also get nerdy about what rubber is actually used in the suit because not all neoprene is created equally. Oh, okay. And so want a super stretchy neoprene, um, no liner on the inside, which makes it much more, it's a skill putting it on and taking it off. Um, but the biggest thing is the flexibility we want. We don't want it restricting our breathing any more than it would normally. So like, having the shop and and talking to manufacturers you know i've got various wetsuit companies that i've talked to um and i ask them about what what rubber they use if i'm thinking about trying their suit or or bringing in their line and they'll tell me how flexible it is but most like a a surf suit company is thinking about flexibility for you know shoulder movement and paddling and whatnot and i'm like that's not the flexibility i'm talking about i'm talking about um, restricting my breathing and really kind of minor stuff yeah or little stuff i suppose okay so so then so you got like a suit and then just like weight belt or yeah weight belt and weights um and one of the most common terrible habits is people overweight themselves Mm -hmm. um so like i don't know i'll put you on the spot do you remember how much lead you wore for scuba wasn't it, it was 10% of my body weight, right? So typically our starting point is 10% plus 10 pounds yeah, plus. is what we told people. So if we talk about me running that ratio, that would be like 27 pounds yeah. that I'd put on as an incoming student. Um, for free diving, I wear 11 pounds. Oh, okay. In a seven mil suit. That's it. Oh, wow. Um, and so we weighed ourselves neutral at, at 10 meters. And so anywhere from 33 feet to the surface, we're actually going to float. Uh, and that's a big safety thing for where and when blackouts happen. Um, and ultimately if a blackout happens, I want to end up on the surface instead of on the bottom. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, weight belt with 11 pounds. Um, I do wear a knife or two um if i'm out spearfishing if i'm running a course i wear a line cutter on my belt instead um and then spear gun or pole spear i've been primarily pole spearing recently and then float line and float you know i never really understood until you made 
like the point like why somebody would have multiple knives on them in multiple locations until you i think you were the one that was talking about like well if your arms hung up somewhere and the only one that can reach is you know or you, that arm is free can only reach to a certain point on your body and it just happens to be where your knife isn't you know yeah that's yeah it made sense because i never got like why would you want like to have like two or three knives on you why does that make sense but yeah yeah, and, you know, I caution people against um, if you're only wearing one knife, don't necessarily put it on your belt. And yeah. if you do, people always want to attach extra stuff to their belt. But if we are diving for fun and we've got areas with kelp or old fishing line or whatever, all those things are entanglement hazards. And when you're thinking about gear, you really want to minimize your chance of getting tied underwater. So, um you know, there was a accident a good number of years ago now um, where a free diver got stuck in kelp underwater um, and he had his stringer on his belt and, and various things that I would recommend against, um, but got, got tied up in the kelp, so he ditched his belt, um, but then he got tied up in the kelp again on the same ascent and his only cutting device was on his belt and ultimately that's where he ended up staying, so... Damn. Yeah. But there again, um, you know, untrained diver doing task loaded dives, solo diving. So nobody was there to help. And, um, that's where that type of free diving definitely has a lot of risk. Yeah. More risk than I'm willing to take. Yeah, for sure. Do you usually have one like that on your forearm or like on your thigh or something? Yeah. So, um, if I'm, if I'm only wearing one, I want to make sure I can access it with either hand and it's not going to hang up. So inside my left calf is where I put it. If I'm only wearing one knife. Um, okay. So, and so what, uh, I guess aside from, well, can people order directly from your shop, like yeah. online, so mm-hmm. they don't live in the area? Yeah, and um, you get you got my a- online store. So, <laughs> with starting out, I hated that the only way to get free dive gear in Oregon was to order stuff online. Yeah, and so for the longest time, I fought like I'm not even going to put an online store up, um, and I still kind of have that mentality. But enough people, you know, I train people from other areas now where they're like, well, I want to, you know, I want to support what you're doing. I want to get stuff from you, but you got to make it easier. So there is the online store, but the inventory listed on there is not even like half of what I actually have. Oh, so, really? So yeah, if people, <laughs> if people were looking for stuff, calling me and asking what I have is probably the best way. Okay. One, of the, one of these days I'll get more tech savvy and start an online empire, but right now that's not the focus. So Yeah. So anyone that is interested in doing that, the best way that you would suggest is for them to just come down and like chat in person. Yeah. If they're close enough, come in and, you know, I think that's super important and that was a goal, being able to actually try on the gear, you know, touch and feel and see the gear and make sure you like it. Like that's why every month I do a spearfishing pool session where we bring out all the guns and let people shoot them in the pool and um, play around. We also coach people on breath hold stuff there. So, um, you know, having a chance to actually try the stuff before you just dump a bunch of money on online sales and realize that it's not the right gear for you. Um, Oh yeah, that would suck. (laughs) So, so, um, do you have any particular or like brands or anything that you, and still more trust in than others? Yeah, so 
I don't bring anything into the shop that I don't feel good about recommending to my students, honestly. And so throughout this whole process, you know, I pick and choose from different manufacturers and lines what things I really like and what things I, I don't like. Um, and when I decide to stick with a company or, or get rid of a company, um, a lot of that has to do with how well they actually take care of customers. Like if something comes up, whether or not it's the customer's fault or, you know, a manufacturing fault or something like that. Um, I like the companies that, you know, I can call up and say, Hey, this happened. And they're like, cool. Another one's on the way. We're replacing it. Yeah. Um, you know, we stand by our gear. So, um, you know, if I were actually naming some companies, one I've been happy with forever is, uh, Omer. So they've taken care of me on suits as far as, you know, I buy, buy my suits from them and I'm super hard on suits. Like I'm in the pool all the time. They're getting chlorine and everything else and I'm diving all the time. And so I burn through my suits. Um, and you know, I'll send them off a picture and they'll be like, you haven't even had that a year. And it's like, yeah, but I dive a ton. I'll buy a new one. I was just showing. And they're like, no, 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 we got you. Our warranty is good for a year. So, so what kind of wear do you usually see? Like when you're sending it back, like what do you see that kind of like makes you like, I should probably send it back. Or... Um, on my own gear or mm-hmm. on students? So on my own gear, you know, wetsuits compress over time. They do get not having liners on the inside. They're more susceptible to getting tears and whatnot. Oh, okay. So like, uh, you know, the first, the first three mil that I tore through, um, you know, that competition in Cayman where I'm in my suit all day for like three and a half weeks mm-hmm. and putting it on, taking it off and whatnot. That's just a lot of wear and tear. And so, um, you know, expect a suit to start coming apart at some point. So, okay. so yeah, mostly, you know, tears are, are coming apart, wearing holes in them. Yeah. Is that usually kind of happen from like just where, or do you usually like, are you like hitting rocks or like, you know, skating over rocks when you're free diving and everything, spirit fishing and that kind of hole gets, you know, made on a rock or something like that? Yeah. So it depends on (laughs) the suit, I suppose. Um, so yeah, my seven mil, um, (laughs) spear fishing suit, just remembered a good story. Um, the, the first one that I had, actually, I uh, when we were out on those tuna trips, um, I had a learning experience where I jumped in on, on some activities. So I'm sitting on the side of the boat, and I pitch over the side with my spear gun in hand, and I feel myself hang up before I hit the water and then break loose. And I had sat on a boat cleat. Oh. And it caught both layers right in the seat of my pants, Oh, and then so it tore this giant, you know, grapefruit size hole right in the oh, <laughs> right in the seat of my wetsuit through both layers. Um, and so actually, that's where you know there's a picture I post on social media of me holding that tuna on my back. Um, oh yeah. And the only reason that that picture exists is because the uncropped version of that shows my my bare backside <laughs> with the the hole in my suit. That's hilarious. Um, so yeah, spearfishing you're more likely to you know have 
uh, scrapes, cuts, tears um, from interacting with your environment, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we're doing, you know, warm water or pool stuff, you're typically not not hitting the yeah hitting stuff as often. So there, it's usually, you know, you're tired and get careless putting on or taking off your wetsuit, and you end up tearing something. Okay. I was wondering, have you heard of that uh, that brand Hex? Yeah. What do you is that legit? Does it really like? So so I guess it has like some kind. Of, it offers some kind of technology that makes it so that fish and like other aquatic wildlife can't sense you or something. Yeah. Or? So Hex, um, they actually so one they stopped making the suits. Oh really? Yeah. They unfortunately whatever on the business side of things they they pulled the plug on that so Mm. um but they it uses the the faraday cage principle to block your electromagnetic impulses so yeah blocks um you know anytime a muscle contracts it sends out a a little electrical impulse and some some critters are more known to be able to detect that like sharks and whatnot is the the idea so um i thought they were a super cool company i liked what they did they had great stuff they put out as far as images and content you know some of their divers were um really good biologists shark biologists um and do a lot for like awareness in spearfishing uh so yeah i i dug what they did um they sent me a suit actually for deja blue so oh, really I had a three mil from them that I wore for a little bit. And then, um, again, with me nerding out on flexibility, it, their suits a little bit stiffer than the suits I normally wear. And one of our safeties had flown in from Norway and he, they lost his baggage. Oh, geez. And so he didn't have anything. And so, so and so I had two suits. So, um, you know, I'm looking at mine that's broken in and super comfy. And, and then I'm looking at this one that I used a little bit and was like, man, it's a little stiff, you know? And I was like, here, Magnus, why don't you take this new shiny one? Wow. So I let him use the hex one, um, for, for that reason I wore, wore mine, but, um, but yeah, they were, they're, Really well built suit, um, a, a cool idea with some science behind it. So, whether or not it, you know, fends off sharks or whatever, yeah. who knows? But um, they did some cool stuff aside from that. Do you see a lot of uh, other like companies trying to like improve that kind of uh, equipment since free diving is kind of becoming a little bit more popular? Um, equipment in general. Yeah. Like, have you seen any kind of like leaps and strides to really put something that really tops everyone else's equipment or anything like that? Um, people are always coming out with, you know, trying to advance the sport and the, the equipment. So yeah, there, um, you know, are, are some, some cool developments. I'm trying to think some interesting developments in um fins there's a company now that's making because forever it's been plastic fiberglass carbon fiber 
Um, and so some companies are looking at alternative materials for high performance fin blades. Um, and there's, there's a company making them out of bamboo, um, wow. which is pretty cool. How, how would they go about doing, do they like somehow like, like just layer it or something or just make Yeah. Some and they're not actually, I haven't held one in my hands yet. They're not available to the market mm-hmm. that they've been going through, you know, putting them through their paces and traveling around and having different high level athletes try them out and stuff. And everything I've been hearing is pretty cool. So, mm, okay. Um, so it's fun to see, you know, playing around with new materials and that sort of thing. Yeah. So anyone that lives kind of in the Pacific Northwest could come see you at your shop and everything, which is located at what do you, what do you know the address? Yeah, you? it's nine nineteen Seventh Street. Okay, here in Oregon City. Oregon City. Yep. All right, and then what would you suggest for like anyone that like lives elsewhere and maybe like I mean, because obviously since you're going to San Diego and places like that to train, imagine they could come like meet up with you. Yeah. It was going to your website, basically a good idea to see. Yeah. Fire off an email um, or, you know, Instagram message, Facebook message, any any of those ways I respond directly um, or one of my instructors will. Um, But I'm happy to all the time I have people. reach out and say, Hey, I live in Montana and there aren't any free diver instructors. It's like, okay, well you can come out here. Or if you got a group of people, I'm happy to come to you. So, um, even if there aren't, you know, doesn't make sense for them to, to come here. If they've got a group of buddies and they want to get free dive trained, I'll go run a course in their backyard. So really? Yeah. Wow. Would you have to kind of like look on maps and everything, kind of figure out like? Oh yeah, there's a there's a lot of setup that goes into it as far as. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yep. You've just like gone to people and instructed. Yeah, and typically what I do, you know, it's nice that I have um, the connections with Naui, I suppose, where um, I can. One of my first steps is usually if it's someplace I've never been, um, I'll look on the Naui site and look at what shops are close because they're going to be, you know, local experts as far as dive sites and all of that. And they might have a pool, they might have a classroom. So first thing I'll do is is call them up and say, hey, we're trying to do a free diving course and then, you know, pick their brain as far as logistics and best sites. So Wow. And so, um, so I guess how many people would it take for you to like consider doing that? Um, it depends on the course and the travel expense. My typical kind of cutoff is three to run a course, um, unless we bill it just as a private course, which I've had people request um, private courses, which I'm happy to do. Um, but then they have to bear all of the expense of pool rental and travel and everything yeah. else. So, um so if somebody's trying to do it, you know, on a more realistic day-to-day budget, then getting um, three to six people fills the course. Yeah. Um, and then we we go from there. And, you know, I on a travel course, I have to run the logistics of how much is it going to cost me to get there and stay there and rent the pool and do everything we need to do. Um, yeah. But try and keep that as reasonable as possible. And is that just to the States or if somebody was in like, you know, Zimbabwe and they're like, I want this guy to train me. Like, would you go there? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. 
Yeah, we had a couple like our our Naui guys in Europe. We tried to do a course. Um, actually, we were gonna do it in Dahab um, to to hit both our our guys in the Middle East and and in Europe and train up some new instructors and recreational divers. So, um, yeah, happy to go wherever we need to. So yeah, um, I guess that does kind of that leads to another question that I had. So is there anywhere that you wouldn't dive that you're just like, hmm, I just have no interest in diving there? I don't think so. Really, you dive anywhere you think? Yeah. Arctic, like anywhere like that. Oh yeah, like yeah. If that opportunity came up. You'd be like, yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Do, would you need to wear something even denser than than a seven mil or something like that? What Most likely. That kinda... Yeah, there are suits that make um, make thicker suits, and you know the. It's interesting though. Uh, free diving suits are much warmer than a free diving suit that fits you well is much warmer than a, a scuba wetsuit. Oh really? Yeah. So. Oh. Um, so yeah, even really cold water I'd, I'd entertain with, uh, a seven mil unless, you know, if we were doing Antarctica or something, then I'd do some more suit research on what's available. Cause I wouldn't want time and opportunity in the water to be limited by just being more frozen than I need to be. Yeah. That's yeah, that's true. What would you say is like the best places, either on bubbles or or free diving, that you've ever you've ever dove? Um, man, I still I kind of break it into a, a few disciplines now. Where, as far as training depth, my favorite spots are either um, Grand Cayman or Kona. Uh, and Kona is super cool because you can hit it as a shore dive and you can, there's a chance to see some cool stuff. Like when we were there in December training, the, the manta rays cruise by multiple times. Wow. And just cool stuff to see while you're out there. So, wow. Um, in, in Cayman, it's frustrating because every trip I've been there, I see, you know, big Wahoo will come in all lit up and, and cruise by the rig and there's no spearfishing in Cayman. Oh, really? And so, yeah, that one's, that one's always tough, but cool to see nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so as far as depth training, those are probably the, the two favorite spots I've been, um, for spearfishing. I really like, um, you know, the Pacific Northwest, Southern Oregon, Northern California, just tons of rocky structure and kelp and cool stuff to see. Like, I think that's, that's super cool. Okay. And if somebody, if somebody ever wanted to just join you for like, just to have somebody to go diving with, do you, would you be open to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, again, that's a big piece of why I started doing what I was doing. Cause when I started free diving, I felt like I had to work pretty hard to find a handful of guys that were pretty scattered geographically, um, that knew what they were doing spearfishing in Oregon. Uh, and so trying to connect people, um, and not even, you know, like through Facebook and, and whatnot, not, not make it about the shop, but just like build the community and try and get people introduced to the right buddies and and things like that and so um i do people call me up actually i had a guy on the phone yesterday from 
Montana that wanted to go spear fishing while he's here. Um, That's awesome. And I told him, yeah, I'm happy to figure something out. Um, but then I got talking to him, and one of my recommendations, just like at the beginning of this, um, is get the training. Yeah. Especially if you want to spearfish, because spearfishing adds all these different task loaded objectives and all this specialty gear like and so if you're not trained on the basics of being safe just free diving and then you add all those other variables to it and other yeah. complexity um you're asking to potentially get in trouble so okay and what spear guns are you still like in jvl spear guns or do you... um i've been using um omer more often than not on local stuff and actually the last year and a half when i hunt here at home i primarily use a pole spear i've been using the the headhunter nomad um but the two guns i'm probably most excited about as far as northwest guns right now are um there's a meandros b28 and the omer invictus 75 um those sound mean they sound yeah, like they're ready to kill <laughs> exactly um so they yeah i've got um quite a few options that are that are super solid but those are just personally what i've been using that's kind of the the route i've been going yeah do you do you like spearfishing for like uh four fish to like actually go eat or is it pretty fun to just go you know kill off invasive species like do you cool so when i hunt now it's funny because when i started spearfishing you know the the new excitement it was very much about like getting my limit, I guess, yeah. is exciting, right? It's an accomplishment. So um, throughout my time spearfishing now, it's much more about, I guess, only taking what I actually need. Like there was some point where I realized that having a freezer full of vacuum-packed fish, even when I was taking my limit, you know, I would super picky about how I'd fillet and I'd use everything that I, you know, the environmental science teacher in me would come out and yeah. nothing would go to waste type of thing. And so, and then I get to this point where it's like, I have so much fish, like I have to start like giving it to friends and family and whatever, yeah. you know? So, um, so now when I go out, it's much more about, uh, only taking the fish I'm actually going to eat that week, um, you know, that day. Uh, and I still give fish to friends and family all the time. But um, a lot more, especially when I travel, um, you know, if I'm somewhere and I get a, a spear fishing day, I might not have resources to vacuum pack a bunch of fish and, you know, reasonably get through that fish before I leave type of thing. So, um, I have a lot of really memorable spear fishing trips where I didn't end up taking the fish. Um, mm. but you know, doing a drop and calling a fish in and getting that fish to move where you want it, even if you let it keep swimming after that, like, that's so there is things that you do to manipulate like where they go and such absolutely oh i didn't know that i seriously thought you like hunkered down and there was just like a hunter in a tree blind you know like right. just waiting yeah no especially in 
warm water, there are more games that you play trying to get fish to respond appropriately. Um, even in cold water, but cold water, everything's pretty close range. And often it's more about finding the fish than shooting the fish. But, uh, even in, I just put a, a video up on the, the shop YouTube, but, um, and I always like to include clips of where I mess up. So there's one shot where we saw this really nice rockfish, you know, in a crack from the top and I get impatient. I take a shot, top down shot um, with a pole spear and I miss it, um, and then reload. And then there's another shot where I get a similar shot. Um, and I'm just staring at this fish forever and finally get him just to turn slowly broadside and, you know, give me a good shot instead of, instead of the head on shot. So there's lots of little fun stuff you can do to play around and I'm sure you've like learned as you've gone too. Oh, absolutely. You just keep learning more and more. Yeah, I still. I mean, yeah, it's always learning. I have a ton to learn still. So, which uh, is there a preferred like fish that you care to go for, or are you kind of like anything? Um, here in the Northwest, you know, lingcod are always a prize target. Um, Cabazon, when they got some pretty big ones too before that I've seen on the on Instagram. Yeah, actually, one of our guys, I'm stoked. Just last night, he was um, he just got back from a spearfishing trip and sent me a picture of a monster lingcod he got. It's awesome. Um, Cabazon are a really fun one. Uh, we've actually local guy Josh Humbert. Um, has now set the world record on Cabazon twice. Um, wow. Spearfishing around here. so That's awesome. Yep. Yeah, so if you look up the IUSA world record on Cabazon, you got Josh standing out in front of the shop there. Really? Yeah, getting the official weight. So That's awesome. Good man. fun. Yeah. yeah. So do you have like a, a dream destination that you'd want to go diving at? Um, Whether it be just for, for fun or for fishing or training i have a a lot that that i want to hit i wouldn't say as of right now there's not you know a singular focus as far as you know the pinnacle of what i what i want to do um i'm i'm having a great time doing what i'm doing and so i get to travel a lot or have to travel a lot depending on how you look at it um for what i do and staying super busy so uh it's funny actually right now oftentimes i'll have you know good good buddies call me up and say hey we're doing this trip and it's going to be epic or we're doing that trip and you know do you want to go and i'll say yeah absolutely um if i'm not on course and so oftentimes you know my my fun trips kind of line up that way where Unfortunately, I don't have the luxury to necessarily plan them all the time, Um, but we'll we'll jump in on them if I can. So like last year, we went up to Alaska. um, Yeah. And also um, there was one I made happen down in uh, we did Northern California and then went all the way down to San Diego um, and had some really good days in the water. So. Wow. Does your family usually go with you at all with training days or competitions or anything like that? Um, when they can. Yeah. So, you know, normal life gets hard. <laughs> yeah. To make it work. So does your oldest son, does, does he ever, like, does he aspire to get into? Yeah, actually it's funny. Both of them, um, are interested in 
they love the water and you know they're into fish and everything else um so when they have seen me you know prepping for a trip and i'm doing tables and breath hold stuff and and whatnot they'll they'll come out and they'll want to play breath hold with me as well so how old are they now uh now they're four and six wow so um and actually they got to come to deja blue last year wow so one of the best um memories i would say was on the last day of competition they brought out a catamaran for spectators and so they were they were on the boat and when um i was able to rotate out i was able to go get finn off the boat and bring him out to the competition rig so he's out there holding on to the float floating in three thousand feet of cayman water you know watching national records get set with me and like super cool yeah that's awesome. Do you think he's going to eventually probably like want to really get into it with you and everything? I think so, but I'd, I'd try so hard not to like push him towards Guide it. Him you know what I mean? Another. Like yeah. make it accessible, let him see, you know, show him that I'm excited about it, but not try and force it on him. Is there an age where you would say that someone's like should wait to to be able, or do you think that free diving is something that could be good for anyone at any age? I think there's stuff, you know, for each level of certification, there are age minimums. Um, But like with my own kids, you know, make it make it fun, make it age appropriate, various things that they can do and still have fun. You wouldn't Um, force Finn down to 100 feet. I probably would. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. have you had people that have wanted to take a class with their kid or anything like that? Yeah, actually, last year I trained a bunch for what 12 years old was kind of the the age last year. So I trained a bunch of 12 year olds and some of them, if you know, if they were interested in it and excited about it and already playing in the water and comfortable, um, I had some of those guys do better than the adults in the course. Wow. Um, but then I had other 12 year olds who were there because their parents wanted them there. And, oh, okay. you know, they did fine. Yeah. Um, but they weren't as into it and, you know, yeah. didn't have as much fun while we were there. So is there any kind of like youth, uh, level like competitions really like does do high schools have like, like I've, I've never heard of a high school freediving team, but not around here. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the the competition there again at um PFI's competition Deja Blue is fun because it is um set up to be all family friendly and whatnot. And so they mm. typically do a, a kids comp that's organized by one of the, the athletes kids and various events playing in the water and, and whatnot. So Yeah. Um but I would say as far as being like w- widely accessible, um, options are, are fairly limited. Mm, okay. Do you think that's something you could ever see really happening around here or anything? Like, uh, do you think you'd ever be interested in trying to like coordinate like, you know, other people like once it becomes more popular and maybe there's like, you know, somebody that lives over in like seaside and then somebody that lives, you know, somewhere over in Tualatin that wants to start a group. Like, would you ever be interested in trying to like, I think it would be, be super fun. Um, yeah, I, I mean, anything that has people playing in the water, um, safely and with 
kids, I mean, there's such a component where you could add, you know, safety, make them confident and comfortable in the water and, you know, just set them on a, a path where then they're going to love the water instead of be afraid of it, I think is, would, would be great. Um, at this point, I mean, I don't have the, the time to do it personally, but um, I think it would be a good thing. I've got a buddy who's a freediver instructor in in Florida, and the bulk of what he does at because he's got a whole pool facility and everything else. Um, but he does swimming lessons, swim teams, youth camps, stuff like that, um, and even adult swimming lessons, and um, incorporates a lot of his freediving experience and whatnot. So okay, uh, so have you? ever dove anywhere that you'd never go back to yeah like that was just a bad experience like i don't care to really go there ever again (laughs) the the clackamas lagoon oh really (laughs) um yeah other than that i can't think of anywhere where it was like nope won't do it yeah um what went so south there that you just like well you know it was just it's one where not i say it kind of jokingly just because it's so close here but um visibility was terrible and you know mucky mucky bottom and hidden trees underwater and whatnot so you'd be swimming along and you couldn't see the tree that you're about to run into and get pinned under so just not you know safety wise it was like nope yep don't need to jump in there so um yeah but other than that no wow what would you say are the biggest kind of like hazards and things to be cautious of when people are be- when when they're free diving? Like, is it very often that blackouts occur and such like that, or so blackouts aren't common, mm-hmm. um, but there's also not necessarily any warning of when they're going to happen. It just kind of happens. Yeah, and so like you know, kind of relate it to when we trained you on scuba about narcosis impacting different divers differently and the same diver differently on different days. Um, We, you know, on the instructor side, I get to hear lots of stories now of people who, oh, I've never had a blackout and I just dive conservatively and I don't push my limits and I know my limits. Um, And then they have their first blackout. And they tell the story that there was nothing different about that dive. You know, that was the same dive they've done a million times. There were no early contractions, no indications that that was going to be a dive. They had a blackout. Just all of a sudden they woke up on the surface with their buddy reviving them. Jeez. Um, And so don't say that to be scary, um, but just it's something that like not living in fear of every time we go out but diving with buddies that know how to respond and revive you and protect you if it were to happen um and the first time you deal with a open water blackout stressful it's scary you dealt with it oh yeah jeez um 
Yeah, my first one that I dealt with was before, well before I was an instructor, I was spearfishing with some buddies in Hawaii, and we were hunting at like 80 feet, and um, one of the guys had a blackout. Wow. So, but then, you know, safety and fair competition, there we've got athletes setting records, like truly testing, pushing the boundaries, and they're comfortable to push their own limits because of the safety we have in place mm-hmm. um and so yeah we dealt with loss of motor control samba and blackouts Jeez. frequently and i mean is it kind of i mean are you just constantly kind of checking and then you just at one point they're just limp like they're so there are various various things that can happen um as far as signs and symptoms so things that the diver is going to feel things that the safety is going to see um and so often on the the safety side like if we look at a course or a competition um those are like perfect conditions where you've got eyes on you a hundred percent of the time and so in that setting um you know as functioning as the instructor of safety you get lots of warning where you're like, here it comes. All right. Um, Which is okay because then, you know, even when I train all the safety stuff on how to revive somebody and how to respond and whatnot, it, you know, for the first good chunk of time, um, we're not stressed out. Just another blackout. It's it's okay. They're going to come back. We're going to be done diving for the day, but then we're going to go dive tomorrow and everything's fine. Um, It's only, you know, would be extreme cases where it would go beyond that initial response and you'd actually have an emergency response. Yeah. um, Which percentage wise is super, super low. Yeah. Is there anything that they need to do to kind of recover from that or just kind of go rest? Uh, Yeah. Take it easy rehydrate wow have you ever blacked out or yeah i had actually i had my first one um last december in the pool oh okay um and there again it was you know in class i i tell people especially the higher level classes like if you actually want to push your limits like in the freediver course most people are cutting themselves off way early because i mean holding your breath for a long time isn't very fun um and so you get you know the psychological nope i'm done and they're out like way before yeah way before they'd actually run into an issue um and so i tell tell people you know if you actually want to push it my goal is for you to have a clean personal best performance and so like i said there are, are signs that i'm looking for that that tell me if somebody's in the red zone or if they're they're doing okay um and so when somebody's holding their breath if you know their indications that they're about to stop holding their breath um i'll go look at them and if they're looking like they're truly at the end of their breath hold i'll tell them yeah why don't you come up um but if i can tell they still got a lot left i'll just go to the next signal just relax you know and try and encourage them on um so same sort of thing with my I don't do personal best statics <laughs> ever. I hate statics. But um, in December, 
I was in Hawaii helping with some courses and so I had my instructor buddies and coaches that I like around me and the level of safety where it's like yeah I'll, I'll go for a static um, and a big thing because if you have a hypoxic event an LMC or a blackout you should be done diving for the day mm-hmm. um, so another big deciding factor for me was I knew that I wasn't required in the ocean later that day. I was like, I could be an extra instructor where I didn't have to dive in the ocean that day. Um, So if I had a blackout, it wouldn't be a big, you know, it wouldn't impact the course. Um, So I went ahead and and did a static. And And what exactly is a static? It's a static is holding your breath um, for as long as you can in the pool so you're laying motionless you're laying face down in the pool um just on the surface just just on the surface you got a safety right there um and holding your breath for as long as you can wow yep and mine anybody that hears this will know the answer because now i i show the video and ask them if it was a lmc or a blackout because i stay above the water the whole time i stay upright the whole time um but there are i mean i have a little gap in my memory where I'm glad I have the video because looking back, it's like, yep, don't remember that happening at all. Yeah. So no, I get that. That's like, uh, when I got my motorcycle accident, it was just like, I remember going around a corner and the next thing I know, I was like sitting up just covered in blood and my friend was trying to wrap up my arm. It's just like, I have no idea. Like, you know, they told me like everything. Like, oh yeah, we found you. We loaded you in the truck. Like, I don't remember any of that. It's wow. just weird when it's just like, it goes from one thing and then it just skips like yep. onto the next. Yeah. It's just a blank spot where it's just like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is that basically what happened to you? It was just like one minute you were just like in the water and boom, next you were like out. and. Yeah. So I remember coming to the wall and I remember the start of my, uh, um, surface procedure um but the the part that always cracks me up because we joke about in course we we tell people like if you ever have to ask did i just black out you didn't have to ask that because yes you just blacked out like if that question pops into your head you know the answer to it um and so while i'm going through my surface protocol um doing my breathing and on my side you know I'm doing my breathing and everything's fine and then I reach up I was using a nose clip and so I reach up to take off my nose clip and there's no nose clip on my nose oh and so in the video you see me like hesitate and then you see me with my hand on my nose and then you see me like grin and like oh I know what just happened (laughs) (laughs) so like that reaching for the nose clip and having it not be there was like, oh man, I missed something there. <laughs> so, yeah, jeez. But it was. Did it freak you out at all, or were you just kind of like, okay, it's nothing to worry about? No, yeah, nothing, nothing to worry about. You know, and like I said, I was deliberate about when, you know, the setting, having a controlled setting where I was comfortable to push to that point, and yeah. buddies that I trust with my life to make sure i'm not dunking my airway when i'm blacked out so yeah i could only imagine though if you're like 100 feet underwater and you see that happen to one of your friends like it's kind of got to be like just a scary moment 
Yeah, and as far as blackouts go, um, ninety we call it the rule of nines. Ninety percent of them actually happen on the surface. Really? Yeah, and so um, you know, recovery breathing is one of the big things we teach, and and how to help ward those off, and what to do after your dive. Um, because blackouts are rare, so when they happen, nine out of ten are on the surface. The true shallow water blackouts are from five meters to the surface, and that would be nine percent happen there, um, and only point nine percent happen deeper than that are deep water blackouts. Why do you think that is? Uh, there's a lot of physics involved, um, and you know we get pretty heavy into that in the intermediate course. But essentially, if you remember. Now I'm going to quiz you. Do you remember Dalton's Law from your scuba? A I think I bit. taught it in your scuba course. Yeah, no, I I remember it coming up. I remember the name. <laughs> I don't remember the... So essentially what happens is your body doesn't work on percentages. It works on partial pressures. Yeah. And so as you're diving, um, you're increasing the pressure. So you're increasing the partial pressure of oxygen in your body. So even though you're consuming oxygen and percentage-wise, that number is dropping your partial mm -hmm. pressure is increasing and you feel great. And then as you ascend, you take off, you get kind of this vacuum effect where you take off that pressure um, and suddenly your partial pressure crashes to match the actual percentage because you're back to one atmosphere of pressure. Mm. Um, and so onset of that stuff is going to happen quickly and at the surface on open water dives. Mm, okay, that makes sense. And would you say it happens anywhere like uh, cold water versus warm water, like more frequently or anything? Um, that one I would say is a little, little diver dependent and, you know, profiles and, and how much they're pushing. Um, one thing that we have working for us, and again, I don't want to give the wrong impression as far as what things are, are safe and not, but, um, you know, diving here in Oregon, we typically have shallow profiles. We have cold water, um, often moving water. So you're working and you're building up CO2. So oftentimes people are getting a buildup of CO2 where they have a strong urge to breathe far before they're hitting their blackout point. Okay. That so um, it's blackouts are rare in general, um, but as far as kind of recreational spearfish diving, um, I would say our conditions are less likely, um, but still obviously possible. Wow. Yeah. Um, so um, I just had a question I was thinking about. Oh, so do you have any particular like, um, I guess we've, we've talked a lot about like really like scary stuff. So what, what are some of your fondest, you know, moments and memories so far, like with your free diving experiences? Yeah, so um, the one, you know, having having my son out on the rig in Cayman um, was was super cool. Our our tuna trips here in Oregon, um, which there, you know, there's a write up on the website and and pictures and whatnot. But uh, we were super fortunate where on each of our adventures, we we were seeing fish, we were getting opportunities that. The last trip we took um, was incredible. We'd dive in on on massive bait balls with tuna and mackerel, just bombing through them, and you know blue sharks kind of 
swimming lazy underneath looking for scraps and whales breaching on the horizon wow and just like i mean birds swimming down through the bait balls it was it felt like you were watching you know blue planet yeah um, just absolutely incredible and to have that experience in oregon um is is super cool so that's definitely a highlight um last year's trip to san diego um which there's footage up uh on youtube about but we were diving at um in mexico and really aggressive sea lions and we were hoping for yellowtail and they weren't there um so we were shooting bonito and you know fighting off sea lions and the fish were all over the place so it's super active and you know really good dive buddies and just that'll always be a super memorable trip for me yeah just tons of fun wow that's crazy yeah so um I guess uh, we can talk a little bit. We can talk towards kind of wrapping it up and everything. But so I guess, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your shop some more and everything? Kind of everything you have to offer as far as, you know, training and. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So we run um, courses through the, the Naui PFI collaboration and run the free diver course every month of the year. And then more on demand, like. Um, the next couple weekends, actually I got back to back courses and both of them are full with double groups. Um, so we run courses a lot and the, the free diver level course trains you to hold your breath for up to four minutes. And so I will, I will stop you at four minutes and then we do checkout dives down to 20 meters, 66 feet. Um, and so most people not all, but most people that take the course in Oregon are interested in spearfishing. Um, and that one is, you know, gives you a solid foundation on the safety. It also um, gives you, most people around here aren't actually hunting at 66 feet. So, um, you know, it gives you confidence and, and really makes you a competent diver at the level you're going to be diving to hunt. So, um, so that's a super fun one. It takes two and a half days. So I started on Friday night and then it runs full days, both Saturday and Sunday. Um, that from there we do the intermediate course. Uh, and the intermediate course is a four day course and trains you for unlimited breath hold. So I'll let you hold your breath for as long as you want. I won't stop you. Wow. Again, my goal is that you have a clean static. So I will, you know, coach you as far as if I think you're in the red zone or not. Um, but, I will let you push as hard as you want to push. Um, and that one we do maxes out at 40 meters, 132 feet. And then from there, of course, we would don't offer locally, but a course that is available is um, the advanced course. And that one isn't available locally because of... Uh, safety considerations because that one maxes out at 60 meters mm. um, and if somebody wants to train to that level we want to set them up for success and have safety in place so there we're typically doing kona um and 60 meters in feet that's like a hundred and 197 good grief that's <laughs> crazy what is the deepest that you've ever been to uh the deepest 
I don't like to throw out numbers. Okay, but it's uh, a- so I'll share I'll share one that uh, I'll share a couple things. So one, the U.S. Um, men's national record just got set in the the Asian Cup. Um, Daniel Koval broke his record, and now it's at 105 meters. It's pretty killer. You're um, like right there. No, not just no. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Then so that that was cool. And Kurt Chambers, another U.S. guy, set a number of records out there in different disciplines. So, um, and then a memorable dive I had um, last December. We were doing a. It was during a course, and we were doing a. A scenario and I had to dive to 36 meters so 100 and whatever feet yeah um, and dive time was 325 so that was a, a pretty deep wow long, long drop um, Jeez. which is a fun one what is the longest I mean even if you're just doing like a static or whatever what's like the longest you've ever been able to hold a breath for we're throwing numbers again so but you don't uh, have to if you don't No, want. it's all good it's all good so I am like I said I hate to do statics yeah. So the one that I had a hypoxic event on in Hawaii was 6:45. Wow. Um, and I've been now in my defense, I was shivering before I ever did that static. So I'm fairly confident that I got more in the tank. I just need to actually do it. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been over six minutes for a while now. Um, wow. So that's crazy. And would you say that most of the st- instructors are in that kind of area or? Uh, it varies a lot. Yeah. So um, it depends. And like also depends on people's, you know, area of focus and interest. Like um, one of the buddies I have is an instructor and he's, you know, focused on the, the competitive side and really interested in pool work and whatnot. Whereas like I'm more interested in the recreational and, you know, I enjoy that stuff, but it's not really the, the side that I'm passionate about. Whereas like, um, actually doing dives in depth, uh, interests me a little more. Okay. Well, cool, man. Yeah. Um, so the best ways that people can get a hold of you is through like Instagram at, uh, is this a good one? Yep. The underscore Oregon underscore free dive underscore uh, co. Yep. On Instagram. You got it. Or uh, even is your personal or would you rather people? Yeah, personal you? one's fine. Okay, so at Dan Simrad, D A N S E M R A D. And then um, is this your best main website then? Yep. Yep. So uh, www.oregonfreediving.com. And is there basically all your in, your uh, contact info on there for email? Yep, or? there should be links on there. Um, freediveoregon at gmail.com um, should link to the Facebook. Uh, the calendar, course calendar should be up on the website. I also do Facebook events. Um, so Awesome. And if people just want to hit you up with just general questions and just see if it's kind of right for them, you're cool with that? Yeah, absolutely. Come by the shop or give me a call, shoot me an email, whatever facebook message um try it unless i'm underwater i'm usually pretty quick on getting back to people yeah that's awesome um thanks again for sitting down and talking i've been wanting to kind of have this talk for a while just because it's just like you know i think a lot of people can fathom the idea of scuba diving and everything just getting on air and being able to go down and you know it sounds pretty fun but i think that 
the idea of going to a hundred feet and holding your your breath for a handful of minutes it's just it's kind of crazy i mean i remember that like it's been a while since i like sat here and tried but after i'd been running for a while i was like i'm just gonna see like how much how long and it was i was surprised that i hit like even two minutes and was like i feel okay i stopped myself there you know and i think that it is kind of surprising for what people can do but until they meet someone like you and are taken, you know, down, you know, 30 feet or so and challenge like that, you know, maybe they don't know that they can do it. But, um, no, I think it's cool that you're like getting people into this and everything. And I hope that it keeps on prospering and everything. It seems to be going really amazing. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been been super fun. And if you're hitting two minutes on your own, you should definitely take the course. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd need to for sure. I really <laughs> want to. I mean, it seems like. It's really fun to get on scuba and everything, but it just seems like it would be a whole other challenge, like not having the air and, yeah. you know, just being, it just seems like a whole other level of like calmness and just, yeah, peace and just enjoyment, you know? Yeah. Have you gone free diving at night? Yeah. Is that a little bit more like freaky or like, do you care? I know I never did it at night on scuba or anything, but I know Rod said that it was just a whole another experience. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think, um, you know, coming from a background training in cold, dark water and yeah. like being comfortable in um, situations where you have zero visibility, you know, training that way in scuba and, and being comfortable and, and confident in that type of water, I think has helped me in situations that are potentially sketchy or psychologically taxing in in the freediving world as well because yeah um you know we call them the chattering monkeys and that idea that i can't see anything and i must be in trouble yeah so yeah well cool man thanks again and uh, i hope that maybe even sometime in the future if you want to like talk again and we can talk about where things are at or yeah man maybe by then i'll, I'll you know i've hopefully made it down to one of your classes but yeah it's been great thanks for talking cool man thanks Right, that was episode one with Dan Simrad. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun talking to Dan, and I learned a lot. Hope you guys did too. If you think it's something that a friend of yours or family member might enjoy, tell them about the podcast and rate and review it. Let me know what you guys are thinking. If you guys have any thoughts to share about the podcast or what you think about it, maybe ideas for it or who I should talk to next, send them to me at noparticularpodcast@gmail.com, and I'd love to try and do whatever I can to make it better. So. Thank you for listening. I hope you check out the next episode.